What you're about to hear is a portion of a church service that was recorded right here in my very own living room. And we want you to join in with us because Jesus said this in Matthew 18, verse 20. He said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Notice that Jesus didn't say anything about the physical location. He simply said that we gather together in his name. So whether it's just you and a neighbor or you and your immediate family, or maybe it's just you right now, but see, you're joining together with us in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Lord sees. He sees that your spirit's joining with us in his name. And so you can expect that his presence is right there with you. So we want you to join in with us, join in our prayers, join in our celebration of the Lord. And at the end, when we receive the Lord's Supper, we invite you to partake of that as well. Get your bread ready and your juice together so that you can celebrate our Lord with us. So I pray that you will be encouraged, that you will be blessed, and most of all, that you will see our Lord and Savior in a new and a more intimate way today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, to come together in the house of God is a privilege. Amen. Amen. Because God is. Good. And Jesus is. Alive. And Jesus is. Alive. And God is. Good. And God is. Good. And Jesus is. Alive. Amen. Jesus is alive. And God is so good. And we're going to turn to Psalms 1611. And the title of this psalm is the hope of the faithful and the Messiah's victory. You know, actually those two go together, right? Our hope is the Messiah's victory. His victory is our victory. His victory is our hope. And it's trusting in him and seeing that he has already won that victory. That is what stirs up our faith when we simply put our hope in him. Okay, so verse six, uh, chapter 16, verse 11 says, you will show me the path of life. You will show me the path of life. Jesus always leads us to life. Never death, never sorrow, never pain. Jesus leads us to life. He said, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. And it goes on to say, in your presence is fullness of joy. So Jesus leads us to life. And when we are in his presence, we have the fullness of joy. And we all know that. That's why we have so much fun when we gather here. It's because Jesus is here with us. He's here with us as we're worshiping, as we're praying, as we're getting into the word. He's here with us as we're having our lunch and enjoying our conversations. He's the reason why we laugh so much. I don't think I laugh more in the week than I do on Sunday, right? Because we're all here together and Jesus is here with us. And his presence is the fullness of joy. And check this out. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At the Lord's right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, the devil has kind of hoodwinked us. They've hoodwinked the world to think that the pleasures are out there that our God doesn't want us to have pleasures, that he's harsh and he's demanding when the truth is that there is no pleasure outside of Jesus. 
It is in his presence that we find the fullness of pleasure. He died and suffered to give us pleasures. Do you know that Jesus is also called the right hand of God? He is called the right hand of God. And in Isaiah 53, it says two times that the Lord crushed him, that he was crushed on our behalf. And in the second account, it actually says that the Lord took the light to crush his own right hand. The right hand speaks of power. Why would the Lord desire, why would it bring him, him pleasure to crush his own right hand? Because when he crushed his own right hand, that was the payment so that he could give us pleasures forevermore. Now his right hand doesn't extend to bring us judgment, but it extends to bring us pleasures. It extends to bring us in closer. To say, you are my child and I love you. And in his presence, we have life, we have the fullness of joy, and we have his pleasures. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are so faithful to us, that you show up here with us every time we gather together, that you bring your presence that brings us joy, that you lead us in the paths of life, and that your heart for us is to bring us pleasures. Lord, we ask you to open our eyes and open our hearts to see your desire toward us, to see what you have for us, to see you in a fresh way, in a, in a, in a new way, in a more intimate way, to know you in a greater way today, Lord, in your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are going to turn... To Luke 24, verse 13. Luke 24, verse 13. So the setting here is this is the day. Say the day. The day. The day that Jesus rose from the grave. He's risen. He's appeared to Mary. He's, uh, the, the women had the, the vision of the angels. And um, Peter and John have already investigated the tomb and saw that it was empty. And, um, and then we're picking up with this couple here in verse 13. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles, say seven miles, from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself, say Jesus himself, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So right away, I want you to see a couple things. So it tells us that Jesus restrained their eyes. So this wasn't like when he appeared to Mary and she recognized who he was. He restrained their eyes so they didn't know who he was in the natural. But I love this about our Jesus. He is so humble. He has every right, right, to show up with a procession of angels and trumpets blaring and wearing his royal robes. And instead, he just comes alongside them for an evening stroll. Kind of reminds me of something else. Another time when God used to come and go for an evening stroll. 
with Adam and Eve. So Jesus himself has shown up to go for a walk with these two. And look, he's surprised that they're sad. The angel was also surprised that they were sad. Jesus was surprised that Mary was weeping. Heaven is surprised to find us sad because Jesus is risen from the grave. So heaven is surprised when we're sad. Why? Because Jesus has conquered absolutely every enemy we could face. So he says, what, what's going on that you're walking and you're sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? I love this. Jesus just comes along, joins them in their walk, and talks to them and asks them, What's wrong? What's going on? Why are you sad? You know, I love this is a picture of our daily life. The Bible is full of pictures of our daily life and how the Lord wants to walk in it with us. He wants to take the boring and the ho-hum and the ordinary and make it extraordinary. That's what he does. And I want to show you something you're going to see here. You know, there is only one difference in complaining and prayer. And God really doesn't like complaining, but he loves prayer. And the only difference between the two is who you're talking to. When we're complaining, we're telling everybody else about our problems. In essence, we don't believe that God can take care of them or we don't believe that he will take care of them. We're putting more trust actually in whatever that problem is than we are in God. And that's why he doesn't like complaining. Prayer is taking those exact same words and just telling Jesus about it. You can tell him the exact same thing. Why? Because now that shows him that you believe he cares and that he wants to take care of you. And he will. But when we're telling everybody else, we're either hoping they're going to do something about it or we just want to stay in that situation. You know, sometimes we get to the point where we're just enjoying our complaining. We don't actually want it fixed. Right? Unfortunately, that's our human nature. But we take that same thing and give it to Jesus. When we talk to him about it, we're inviting him in. That's what this couple did right. They had a whole lot of stuff going on that was wrong, but what they did right was they talked to Jesus about it. And look at this. From the start, it tells us they were already talking about him. And that's when he drew near. Now, as we're about to find out, their doctrine was completely wrong. They were way out there. They were believing wrong. That's why they were sad in the first place. Did you hear that? They were sad, discouraged, depressed because they were believing wrong. But all Jesus cared about was they were talking about him. And so he joined alongside them. That's our hope. He doesn't expect us to have it all together. He doesn't expect us to know everything. Just open the door and give him the chance and he'll teach us. Hallelujah. I'm like, these two got the best teaching ever. When I get to heaven, I want to see the rerun. <laughs> right? So he says, what things? And they say to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. 
we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those with, um, with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Okay, first off, they considered Jesus a prophet. They referred to him as a prophet, not the Messiah. First and foremost, Jesus comes as our Savior. The day he was born, the angel said, today is born to you a Savior, not a judge, not a lawgiver, not a prophet, a Savior, right? And then we see, listen, look at this. So these, these two people, and I'm going to tell you that this, and I believe this is Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas. And I believe that because it says, we already know that it was Cleopas. And it was common in this time that to refer to a married couple only by the husband's name. And not only that, but in John's gospel, it tells us that Mary, the wife of Cleopas, was at the foot of the cross with Mary, Jesus's mother. This is a couple. This is a husband and a wife returning home from Jerusalem. Because we know they later on, they invite Jesus into their home. But here's the thing, uh, you know, that we can see is that they were part of the disciples because it says that certain of them went out from us. So they were part of the disciples joined together in Jerusalem. They heard the word that Jesus had been risen. They heard the word that the tomb was empty. And instead of believing, they actually recount that as a reason to be depressed. Because they don't actually believe it. And look where they're at. They have left Jerusalem. They're supposed to be in Jerusalem with the other disciples. And they are walking away. They're going in the wrong direction. And what did Jesus do? Did he say, well, they gave up on me. In essence, they're denying me. I'm just going to leave them alone. They walked away from me. They get whatever crappy life comes to them. That's what they deserve. In all honesty, it's what we all deserve. But that's exactly what Jesus paid for at the cross. That's what grace is. Grace is us getting what we don't deserve. And so instead, even as they are walking away, and this is the very day that Jesus rose from the grave, the two people he decides to go and spend the evening with are the ones walking away from him because he always comes to get us. His love will always search us out. His grace is greater than our sins. By his grace, he came and found this couple. I used to hear things, you know, Jesus said when he was in the gospel of John, he says that the father has put you in my hand and you have everlasting life and no one can snatch you out of my hand. And I used to hear, unfortunately, pastors say, yeah, but you can walk out of it. Really? Because he said no one. And I count as no one. If I can walk out of his hand, then I'm greater than him. How big do I think that hand is that created this universe? And here we see this is what happens when we try to walk away. Can I tell you something? You can't outlast the patience of God. You don't have more strength than God. 
You can't outrun his grace. You can't outrun his favor. Once you are a child of God, you are a child of God, you are a child of God. And this is how he responds when you walk away from him. It reminds me one time when, when we were little, I have a younger brother who's about a year and a half younger than me, and he was probably around four. And I was already inside and, and he came in and I don't know what he was upset about, but he was upset about something. And he told my mom, he just looked at her and just all defiance and anger and said, I'm running away. And she said, okay, I'm coming with you. And so she did. She went with them. They were gone about two minutes. She came back in. I was like, what are you doing? She's like, we need some snacks. She grabbed some cold hot dogs. We used to snack on cold hot dogs a lot. And she left. And they were gone for about 30 minutes. They went walking off in the, in the forest. And then they came back. That's exactly what Jesus does. But the thing is, he doesn't have to run down to find us. He's there with us the whole time. Amen. He's there with us the whole time. It's just a matter of when we decide to turn around. But he's always there with us. He paid a heavy price to have that right. He's not going to let you go. So he tells them, then he says to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. Right here, he just gave us the reason why as believers we become depressed, discouraged, or fall into unbelief. Because we don't know the scriptures. Or we're not seeing him in the scriptures. Remember, they referred to him as a prophet. He, re he referred to himself as the Christ. They talked about him redeeming Israel, which is true. The scriptures do talk about the redemption of Israel, but the scriptures also talk about that the Messiah has to suffer first. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about that. And so sometimes when we've gotten off, it's because we're only seeing one little thing or we've taken something and made it our own little Israel. And so when we don't get that, we think that the, that the Lord has given up on us or, or we think that, you know, we just fall into that discouragement and that depression because see, for them, it wasn't that Christ was the Messiah. He was just a means to get what they wanted. He was a means to get Israel. And we can all do that. We all do it to some extent. So what does he do? He corrects us. And this might sound harsh, but it's not. Grace is not letting people stay in a situation that's hurting them. Right? That's not graceful. If, if your friend tells you that they've got to make a delivery and it's urgent and they've got to get from Washington to Maryland and then they, you, you look at their route they have planned and they're going to hit Mexico and Canada on the way, is it graceful? Is it truthful? Is it kind to let them think that that's the quickest way to get from here to Maryland? No, you should say something. <laughs> like, why are you going to hit Mexico and Canada to get from here to Maryland? There's a much more direct route, right? And that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. He doesn't want to leave them here. So, and the Bible says in John 1:17 that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Truth is always on the side of grace. Grace and truth go together. In fact, Jesus himself is grace and truth. He said, I am the way, the truth. So this is the truth that right now they're being foolish and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. 
And he says, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expound to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Say himself. When we come to the scriptures, we are meant to see Jesus. We are meant to see Jesus. We're not meant to see rules and regulations and laws. We are meant to see Jesus. This is why their heart didn't have belief and they didn't have the peace and the joy that we've talked about in his presence. He brings peace and joy. That's who we are meant to see Jesus in the scriptures, even from the very beginning. You know, in Genesis, where it tells us that there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but there was also the tree of life. Who brings life? Jesus. Jesus brings life. See, and the Bible actually says that it was the tree of life that was in the midst. And there was also a tree of knowledge of good and evil. God wanted Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of life. Then their eyes would have been open to know Jesus. And instead they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and their eyes were open to know themselves to know their own guilt, to know their own shame, to try and judge for themselves what's right and what's wrong. And just so y'all know, do you know that it says the entire, all the trees, all the trees were beautiful to behold and good for food, except one. Except God always sets us up for success. But there had to be one so that man had a way to demonstrate his free choice. If everything was perfect, then God couldn't really say he gave man free choice. There had to be something for man to make a free choice about. And so there was only one, one tree that they couldn't eat from. Just one. Because God wants us to be successful. He's always looking out for our good. So it says, so that's just one, one example, but the whole Bible is all about Jesus. And notice he says, he opened up to them the things concerning himself, not themselves. I know some people would come along and say, your problem is, right? And start listing everything they're doing wrong and how bad they are. Well, maybe you did this. Maybe it's because of this sin. Maybe it's because of that. No, Jesus said, you just need to look at me. You need to see me in the scriptures. Hallelujah. Then they drew near to the village and when they were where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. He wanted them to keep coming with him. And I'll tell you why. Because the Jewish Bible has the has Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. It did then, it does now. Moses is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Prophets are all the rest, and then you have Psalms. So it tells us that he had shown them himself as they were walking along and they're talking. He had shown them himself in Moses and the prophets, but they hadn't got to the Psalms yet. So I believe he wanted them to keep walking with him so that he could show them himself in the Psalms. But they, it says, but they constrained him. They constrained him. Our holy God all power and all might, he let them constrain him. And we do it too. Another way to say that is they limited him. They limited God and how much he wanted to give to them. 
But you know, Jesus is so humble and he loves us so much. He's like, fine, okay, you won't come with me. I'll go with you. I'll still go with you. And they said, they said, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. Say far spent. In other words, it's too, it's too late. We're too tired to keep walking. And so he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke and gave it to them. He took bread. First of all, this is unusual because he's the guest, but he's acting like the host. He's acting like this is his house. He took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to them. What does that sound like? Communion. That's exactly, exactly what he did with his disciples the last night that he was with them. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And I love, you know, in this one verse, we have five actions of Jesus. He sat, he took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. And five is the number of grace. It's the number of grace all throughout the Bible. And it says, so then going on, it says, once he gave them the bread, then their eyes were opened. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. They knew him. I am telling you, this is the Lord restoring what happened in the garden where another couple ate of the wrong tree and knew themselves. And now Jesus has come to another couple and they've opened their eyes so that they would know him. And this word know is a very intimate knowing. It's not a head knowledge. It's a very intimate knowing as in a relationship, especially even between a husband and a wife. We want an intimate relationship with the Lord. We come and receive communion with him. That's his love language because it's all about what he's done for us and how much he loves us. And when we receive that bread, he manifests his presence to us in a special way. And I cannot tell you how many times over the last few years while receiving communion, I've had visions. That's where I have most of them. Or while I'm receiving a word that I had asked the Lord about that I had read earlier that day or maybe weeks ago even suddenly just explodes. And I see him in a new and fresh way. So once they received, he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn? within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. Do you get that? When you're, when you're hearing the word of the Lord, when you're hearing about Jesus, your heart burns, when you're reading his scripture, mine does all the time. I feel that heart, my heart burning. David talked about this as well. And it says, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. How many miles was it from Jerusalem? Seven. Seven. And hadn't they said the day was already too late to keep walking? And yet after they received communion, they jumped up and walked seven more miles back to Jerusalem. Don't tell me it didn't do something to their bodies, right? Jesus gave us the bread for our bodies. It poured health and life and energy and strength into them. And I love this because what they're about to do is exactly what Jesus just did for them. And I'm just going to uh, read this to you and real quick. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Our God is called the God of all 
comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations, all our tribulations. It doesn't say just the ones that other people cause in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Isn't that what just happened? Jesus came to this couple, found them distressed, dis depressed, discouraged. He comforted them. He filled them up. And now they jumped up and went back to the other disciples to comfort them. Hallelujah. Amen. So as they, it says they went back. They found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed. The first thing out of their mouths is the Lord is risen indeed because that is our victory. When the Lord went into the grave, he had our sins, our guilt, our punishment, our shame, our sicknesses, our diseases. All of that went into the grave. And the fact that he is risen is proof that we are justified and all of those things were left in the grave and they are no more, no more. When God looks at you and he looks at me, he doesn't see that on you anymore. It's in the grave. Hallelujah. So he says, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told them about the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them. He was known to them in the breaking of bread. Here we have it again. He was known to them in the breaking of bread. I want to submit to you. This is the first Sunday. And Jesus spent the first Sunday going through the scriptures that pointed to himself and giving communion. I think he was giving us the pattern that we are meant to follow. We're meant to join together, see Jesus in the scriptures, and receive communion. Amen. So as they said these things, as they said that they knew him in the breaking of bread, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. The first word out of Jesus' mouth was, peace. The first word out of his mouth was peace. So for, for time's sake, I want to, we're going to skip down to verse 44 and it says, then he, Jesus said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. You know, the only way we can comprehend the scriptures is through Jesus. That's why there are people who read this book and they get nothing from it. Or they try to find what's wrong with it because they're not looking for Jesus. They have no heart for Jesus. They haven't received Jesus. You know, you can, just because you can read the letters on this page doesn't mean you can understand it. You know, I, I have a physics book, a college level physics book from before the brain injury. And it was funny. One day I had the thought, I wonder how much of this I, I, I would still know because I loved physics. And I opened it up and the words are in English, but it's like reading another language. Right. If we're not coming here to see Jesus, it's the same way. But the beauty is he wants to give us understanding. Right. Isn't that what he just did? So when we open this beautiful word and just say, Jesus, I want to see you. 
Jesus, help me see you. He will, and it will come alive. It will explode. Amen. And we're going to skip down to the last verse. The last, this is how Luke chooses to end his gospel. Verse 52, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, with great joy. And we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. When we come in Jesus' presence, we should experience peace and we should experience joy. That's what he gives to us. And his paths are paths that lead to life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Woo! Yes, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this for your word. Thank you for being here with us today. Lord, we thank you that your, your ways are ways of life, that, that you come and your presence is, you are the Prince of Peace. You bring us peace. You bring us joy. You bring us pleasures forevermore. You paid with your life to be able to give us these things. Lord, help us to receive them and to honor you, to honor the work that you did by opening our hearts to receive more and more from you, to receive your love, to receive, to receive all that you have for us. And we just worship you, Lord. We thank you that no matter how far we walk, you walk with us. You always walk with us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. So let's, um, yeah, so we are going to have communion now so we can get our elements ready. So just like we saw with that couple that we just read about, communion is about the Lord giving to us, about him, what he's done giving to us. So I want everyone to just close your eyes. And I want you to picture Jesus standing in front of you right now. Picture him smiling at you. Those loving eyes that are so delighted in you. So delighted that he sings over you. And that he was thinking of you when he was on the cross. He was thinking of this very moment. And he himself brings you communion. Jesus, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for your body that you broke for us. We thank you that you took that scourge. You took the torture. You took the shame so that you could set us free, so that you could heal our bodies, pour your life into us, cover us up with your glory and your righteousness. We thank you that by your stripes we are healed, we are made whole, and our youth is rejuvenated like the eagles. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus, we thank you for your blood that you shed for us, that you poured out your blood to wash away every trace and spot of sin from our lives, that because of your blood we are now beloved children of God, we have a hopeful expectation of the future. 
We know that we are living towards good, towards God's good. We are living to see you again, Lord. We are not living looking forward to death. We are looking forward to the life, the resurrection life that you have given each and every one of us. We thank you that our sins have been forever put away and that we get to stand on favor ground and we have peace with God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's stand and we'll have our blessing and um, then we'll have our announcements after that. All right. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord protect you and your loved ones throughout this week. The Lord lift up his face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord smile on you and grant you his shalom peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Okay. Thank you, Lord. My friend, if you have been listening today and you have not ever made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. You've just heard about how much your Father God loves you, how much He sacrificed for you, how much He cares about you, how much His Son, Jesus Christ, loves you. This is about entering into relationship with the God who loves you, and He simply wants to take care of you. And you're not listening to this by accident. This was a divine appointment arranged by your father so that you could have this opportunity. And so if you would like to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to just repeat this simple prayer after me right now and say, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that at the cross, you took all of my sins. I believe that you became sin for me so that I am blessed. I believe that you took those sins into the grave and on the third day you rose again without them. I am now justified before God. I declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And I thank you, Father God, for giving up your son for me. I am now a beloved child of the Most High God. His favor is on me. His delight is with me. His protection is all around me. And I walk in a new relationship. And I am a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend, if you just prayed that, welcome. Welcome to the family of God. Your life you have just made the best decision for the rest of your life. You will now spend eternity in heaven. Heaven is your home and God is your father. So I do hope and I pray that you've been blessed. And you know what? I would love to hear from you. If you have a, a praise that you would like to share, a testimony, um, just, you know, some of the good stuff that God's been doing in your life, uh, I would love to hear from you. And um, you can reach me at gracegang20 at gmail.com. That is my email um, that you can also find listed on the on our show uh, on the where you download it from. Again, that's gracegang20 
G-R-A-C-E-G-A-N-G-2-0 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what the Lord's doing in your life. And if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I definitely want to hear from you. Please email me. Let me know. And I want to send you a little gift. Uh, just welcome you into the family of God and send you something to help start you off in your journey with the Lord. So I would love to hear from you. And um, God bless you. Uh, and he pours out his favor on you. In Jesus' name, amen.